0: Welcome to episode 79 of the GTO on 5G. It's the latest insight scoop on everything 5G. We cover six topics in about 15 minutes, and it's brought to you by more insights and strategy. I'm Will Townsend, and joining me again this week is Anshul Sag, and we are welcoming Diana back to the podcast as well. well let's get started with my first topic. So this week, the FCC announced that it was considering some deregulation with respect to low-Earth orbit satellite deployments. And so what's the real angle here for service providers? Well, one of the things that the FCC is proposing is, and it's interesting because it's sort of counter to um, what we've been hearing around the FAA and and interference, but let me get to that, uh, my details here. So um, they're actually, the uh, FCC is considering extending interference protections granted to what, what they state are existing operators of non-geosatellite geo service. So they expect that this will help open things up a little bit more and allow more entrance um, you know, into, the, into the space here. And one of the interesting things that was noted is that you know, a lot of these regulations were created um, when it was only the United States government and NASA that was focused on launching satellites and and that sort of thing. And obviously with SpaceX and OneWeb and and others, that that has completely changed, you know, kind of the paradigm in the game there. So I think this is a positive thing. I mean, more competition typically breeds more choice and more innovation, but Anshul would love to get your input maybe first to start.
1: Yeah, I think it's interesting. I think the thing I'm worried about is really just about how many of these satellites are gonna be in space. Um, and what kind of space debris they will create, because there are going to be ones that fail. Um, and on top of that, how that's going to affect the whole astronomy community. Um, and, you know, what happens if a company goes bankrupt, and they've got a bunch of satellites up in the air? You know, what are the, the, the obligations to them when they've got, you know, let's say 1500 of these small satellites in LEO? So, um, I think there needs to be a little bit of more regulation on these LEOs, but um, you know, I think loosening up some regulations probably will make it easier for companies to create these satellites um, and reduce the cost of deployment. But mm-hmm. ultimately I think just having these up in the air, um, floating uh, and having too many could be a risk as well. So uh, yeah. I don't know what you think, Diana, but I, I'd,
2: I'd love to hear your thoughts. Well, I think you stole my thunder, that's for sure. <laughs> um, yeah, I was actually going to make the same point about there being a lot of space debris and just, uh, I think it's important to note the sheer number of satellites that are in all of these constellations. I mean, the, the example you gave was 1500. I think SpaceX, uh, their constellation, once they have the whole thing up, it's like a couple thousand. It, it's like, mm-hmm. you know, two or three thousand. And that's just them. That's right. not counting all of the other players who are looking to get into the space, you know, one web, Um, There are a ton of other people and not just for LEO, right? LEO aren't the only satellites up there. Um, You also have folks who are putting satellites up to do some monitoring, to do um, measurements of radio frequencies on the earth, which I've interviewed a company about that. That was super interesting. So I think as the FCC approaches this, they need to think about all the other players that are up there. It's not just about satellite broadband, which Is a really cool use case, and right can can connect a lot of people who otherwise might not be connected. Um, But they obviously have a lot of different angles they need to consider as they move forward.
0: Absolutely, good insight, Diana. Yeah, you know, and eventually once they figure out, you know, some of the latency challenges, I think satellite could be, you know, low low Earth orbit satellite could be appropriate for supporting five G backhaul and autonomous driving, where you're going to ubiquity of of that backhaul, but I know, Diana, you want to talk about Verizon. They've been on quite a tear with respect to uh, investing in mobile edge computing, and they announced a new partnership with Google, right?
2: Yeah, so they added Google Cloud to their list of cloud partners for 5G mobile edge computing. Um, They are already working with AWS and Microsoft, um, and this, to me, kind of seems like a pretty significant win for Google Cloud um, because they've been working really hard to grow the cloud business at Google. Um, And I think in Q3, for example, they managed to increase cloud revenue 45% uh, to just around 5 billion. Uh, It was around 3.44 in Q3 of last year. So they're growing at a pretty quick clip. Um, And all of the stuff I've seen, um, or some of the analysis I've seen has indicated that they really need to prove themselves in terms of winning big accounts. And to me, Verizon is a big account. One of the things I'm interested to learn more about is whether operators can really trust the cloud, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. I think it's a fair question to ask given Amazon just had that huge outage. uh, I think it was last week by now. um, And then had another another brief. Yeah, they had another blip. Um, And so, you know, maybe for Verizon, I know Verizon has said in the past that there are certain functions uh, of the network that they're not gonna be putting in the public cloud, they're gonna keep those private. Um, but for a company like I think AT&T, who I think is really you know, going at this uh, full on, I think it's a different story. And I think people need to be just a little bit careful because um, it seems like we're putting a lot of really critical systems all in one place. I don't know, Angela, what do you think?
1: I think that there's definitely some validity to um, saying that, you know, Google's, um, this is a big deal for Google in terms of winning, um, but I will say they're the last ones to win Verizon out right. of the big three. Um, yeah. So it's kind of a, uh, an indicator of their current place in the market when it comes to telecom. Um, and I would also say that you're right. The cloud is not infallible um, and there should always be some form of backup to address that. Um, And I think that, you know, everybody who had any kind of Amazon device um, that was connected to AWS, wasn't able to use it uh, that day when, you know, AWS went down on the East Coast. So um, Mm -hmm. the way I look at it is um, there's definitely some uh, fallback that needs to be built into place for these things, whether it be the cell network or, you know, applications that are just, running off the edge cloud. So I think it's absolutely a valid concern and I think uh, there needs to be some more redundancy built into these systems.
2: Will, do you have anything to add before we jump to Angel's first topic?
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I agree with, you know, what, what the two of you said. You know, Google has certainly been in third place and that this is a nice win for them. But, you know, Certainly from my perspective, you know, Verizon is wanting to you know, ins- you know, leverage across all of the, the, the big public cloud providers with respect to their, their, their MEC deployment. And it's probably, you know, to ensure you know, ubiquitous service as we've been speaking about, as well as just you know, leveraging, you know, the you know, kind of the opex spend there as well. You know, Diana, you mentioned ATT, they're betting big putting, you know, 5G core in the cloud but it's not infallible and um, there will definitely have to be redundancies and backups, but uh, completely agree with with both of your insights.
2: Back to you, Anshul, for your first.
0: Absolutely.
1: So uh, I wanted to talk about yet another uh, 5G uplink record. Um, we have been talking about, you know, 5G downlink for a long time and, uh, and there's all kinds of big numbers people are throwing out, but Very little has been talked about uplink until this year. Um, And we already heard about 711 megabits per second. Um, We heard about 500 megabits per second um, going back later this year or earlier this year. Um, And now we're talking about 986 megabits per second. Uh, And this was a uh, a record achieved by Ericsson, Telstra and Qualcomm. Uh, It was using Ericsson equipment Utilizing Ericsson's unique four component carrier aggregation, which aggregates four contiguous 100 megahertz bands of millimeter wave together um, with a 100 megahertz channel of 3.6 gigahertz midband using a Qualcomm X65 5G modem. Um, And they were able to achieve this near gigabit upload speed, uh, which I don't think anyone's really ever. Uh, expected to be possible on 5G. Um, but but having that um, kind of shows how amazing 5G can be uh, on the throughput side both down and up with the right uh, bands and carrier aggregation. And it's not really that big of a story, but I think it's important to understand that there are big improvements coming on the uplink side as well as the downlink. And there are lots of interesting applications that could benefit from potentially a gigabit uplink that otherwise wouldn't have been possible before, including potentially, you know, 8K broadcasts, which, um, you know, we, we don't even really have 4K broadcasts right now. a lot of those are upscaled. So I think the, the TV broadcast community could really benefit from having millimeter wave 5G uplink um, and being able to broadcast live 8K video Um, And, you know, we were at the Qualcomm Snapdragon tech summit a couple weeks ago and um, they were showing an 8K demo of a live 8K broadcast back and forth video chat. And that wouldn't be possible without a really crazy uplink. So um, I'm excited to see where this goes and hopefully we'll see it, you know, um, in other places. um, And, you know, with millimeter wave penetration improving on Verizon and potentially other carriers around the world, this could be a possibility in more places, but, but it's important to remember this is still fairly tied to millimeter wave. Uh, Diana, I don't know how you feel about this, but I'd love to hear.
2: Well, I don't want to be the wet blanket, but I'm going to be the wet blanket. <laughs> so, uh, this is really cool. Don't get me wrong. This is really cool. Uh, a gig uplink is crazy to think about uh, considering, uh, what is it? The benchmark even for fixed broadband is like three right now three megabits per second. Um, granted, I think the FCC is looking at changing that to, but even the the higher level that's seen in some of the broadband bills for again, fixed broadband is a hundred. So this blows that out of the water. That is awesome. But you have to think about it in a real world context, right? Like how many people are really, really, really deploying millimeter wave in the way that Verizon is? Not right. that many. Uh, how many people have, what is it? It's Four different hundred megahertz channels. So four, and then a third, a fifth. Uh, so yeah, five hundred megahertz. Yeah,
1: it's four hundred <laughs> in the millimeter wave, which I think is possible contiguously. Yeah, um, I think that the having the hundred as well on the midband plus the millimeter wave, I think it's viable. But to your point, it's a lot of spectrum.
2: Yeah. Well, and the thing is, is like it kind of circles back to uh, even just looking alone at that. 100 megahertz mid band channel i mean how many people this goes back to the c-band discussion right if you don't get c-band up there nobody has that except for Mm t-mobile and they've kind of been all poo poo on millimeter wave so if you're looking at who has the right mix of this spectrum to do this you know it it'll take some time before this actually becomes something in the wild, rather than just something you can do theoretically that's really cool. Uh, and so that's my wet blanket speech. <laughs> Will, I don't know if you have anything maybe more upbeat to add.
0: <laughs> well, the one thing I'll add, I mean, you guys covered the tech perfectly. Um, I continue to be impressed with, with Ericsson's execution, even in these POCs. And Anshul and I have spoken you know, about Ericsson relative to their traditional you know, incumbent competitors. They continue to demonstrate, from my perspective, um, they're savvy, they're, they're investing quite a bit in, in 5G with various labs and efforts and that sort of thing. And this just points again to how strong Ericsson is positioned. Uh, not that Nokia and Samsung aren't, aren't doing well, but, but certainly Ericsson in my mind is in the pole position You know, with respect to a lot of these pucks that we're seeing. So, so I'll be a little more positive. <laughs> <laughs>
2: But well, let me I think that takes us to your yeah. second. right yeah. yeah,
0: that's a good segue to my second. So I want to talk about transport. And uh, there was news released this week that Sienna is taking a lot of Huawei's lunch money, <laughs> particularly in um, in Europe and in India. Um, and so it's no secret that that Huawei's had a very strong optical business. and um, and so what Sienna's reporting is that, you know, given, uh, the pivot away from Huawei, you know, on a global basis, that now Huawei is starting to see um, some cannibalization uh, within their optical business. So, Siena was quoted saying that they they experienced 13% year-over-year growth, and you know these core markets of of Europe and India. And what's also interesting, I was recently on um, a Cisco call where their mass scale infrastructure group was talking about optical and how they've really been growing. That business, you know, tremendously. So, it seems to me that not only Sienna, but companies like Cisco, who are, you know, Cisco is also very strong in optical, um, is really taking some share. So, you know, what are the negatives there? I mean, you're you're forcing out someone uh, as a competitor. Typically, when you do that, you know, sometimes economics, you know, cost points rise, that sort of thing. Certainly, Huawei has been a pretty prolific. Patent filer, I think you know in Europe they were either number one or number two. And again, like patent counting, in my opinion, is not an indication of innovation. But but certainly here's another area where where, where Huawei is getting squeezed. And you know, Anshul, I know you and I have talked a lot about this dynamic, but would like to get your your in, your input and perspective there.
1: Yeah, I, I think um, Pandora's box has been opened when it comes to Huawei. Yeah. Um, and i think uh once the momentum against huawei has occurred uh i i'm not really sure what other avenues um they have left um you know there's going to be a certain number of markets that they're purely limited to because of um you know these government actions so um there's not really much that they can do um but it i guess the only positive aspect of this is um we we have more companies in the market um, taking over their share as opposed to one company replacing another Um, and a diversity of vendors is a good thing for the industry. Mm. Um, But that's all I can think of. That's really a positive of this because, (laughs) you know, I'm just not really a big fan of government regulation where it's not necessary or there isn't, you know, uh, concrete evidence uh, supporting it. Uh, I don't know. What what do you think, Diane?
2: Well, I, I mean, I'm not entirely surprised um that, you know, Sienna is seeing this kind these kind of gains. I, I if I'm not mistaken, uh, I'm pretty sure they've talked pretty openly it, and if it wasn't them, it was it was one of the other optical vendors um talked pretty openly about going after uh Huawei's share in the market because mm-hmm. now's the time and why not, right? Yeah. Um so I, I I'm not surprised to see it um I don't know to your point what Huawei can do now, you know, to, to, to kind of stay afloat because they're kind of getting killed on all sides. So, I mean, not too much else from me there, but, you know, I'm again not really surprised to see it. And I wonder how much more they're going to lose before the day is out. Yeah.
0: And I think what they're going to have to do, I mean, they're sort of their last stand is building their, their enterprise networking, you know, business in, in those countries. And it's primarily going to be China. Where they're still they're still accepted, but you know certainly when it comes to cellular infrastructure and now optical, it's it's not boding well for them. But Diana, let's go to your second topic, and you want to talk about T-Mobile this week?
2: Yeah. So I just thought it was interesting. I wanted to kind of drop a little line about how they're kind of speeding up their five G site upgrades. I think um, they had said at a recent conference that they've added new five G radios to more than nine hundred sites in one week. Uh, that seems like a pretty, you know, healthy clip. So I'm wondering, you know, are they doing this just to kind of capitalize on their lead, while uh, you know, AT and T and Verizon are kind of hamstrung with C band because of what's going on with the FAA? And I don't want to keep bringing every conversation back to C band, right. but, <laughs> but that's where we're at. Um, so. I don't know if you found anything interesting in this, uh, Will, but what do you think?
0: Yeah, you know, I, I would tend to agree with you. This is probably Neville and team, you know, you know, pouring on the, the mojo because they're not limited in mid-band, right? They, they have those assets that came from the sprint acquisition, you know, and their two biggest competitors are paused right now. So, yeah, yeah so this is an opportunity for T-Mobile to continue, you know, you know, deploying out the infrastructure. What do you think, Anshul?
1: So I actually have an anecdotal story about this. Um, I've been traveling for the last month nonstop, so I haven't been home. Um, and I was in New York, and I was blown away because New York is like their, their, you know, it's their, their, their crown jewel. Um, so I'm not generally that impressed with what happens in New York because it's always been their best market, but. I got 665 megabits per second inside my hotel room, looking into other buildings. So it wasn't like I was looking into a park and I had like 12 millisecond ping. I was super impressed by that. Mm. Lo and behold, I come home after this month of travel and I look at my phone and I start having um, T-Mobile mid band everywhere, places I didn't see it before, places it hasn't been in at all in the last year not only that, but I pull out my phone because I see it in yet another place where I didn't have it before. I just randomly run a speed test and I get a gig. And I'm like, (laughs) what? I'm (laughs) getting a gig in the middle of suburbia. This is not downtown San Diego. This is not some dense urban area. This was just on a freeway off ramp. And I was like, okay, I guess they really made some significant upgrades in my area in the last month. So that's kind of like a an anecdotal proof point to their network is accelerating and it's, it's not really like a, like a, it's, it's a hockey stick upgrade path. So, you know, we've seen them upgrading, you know, they did that 200 million pop announcement um, and that sounded impressive. And, you know, I didn't really get the chance to really experience it because I was stuck in, in basically the same place uh, or (laughs) in, in, in like four places over the last month and I never went home. And when I got a gig, on my freeway off ramp, I was just like, what? So yeah, that's my anecdotal story for their, their, their 5G network upgrades. It's, it's absolutely bonkers.
2: It's kind of crazy to see, but that's a perfect jump into your second story. Speaking of speed testing.
1: Ah, good one, good one. <laughs> uh, I did not do that on purpose. Um, so, uh, which is the parent company of Speedtest, uh, and is you know very commonly known within the industry for providing uh, user-based um, you know connections. They uh, acquired RootMetrics, which is a uh, another five G slash network uh, coverage uh, provider. Um, and yeah, it, it, it's a big it's a big deal because uh, they're competitors. Um, and RootMetrics has. Uh, a very unique position in the market because um, they've they they ha- their methodology has you know kind of always favored Verizon um, in their testing or at least from my experience has favored Verizon and I think Verizon's always liked their test results so that you know there's a little bit of a positive feedback loop there but I think what's interesting about the acquisition is it will allow for um, you know people to get more comprehensive uh, kind of experience in terms of what the network results will be. Because I think when you combine a root metrics methodology with Ookla's real world user speed tests, I think there's a really interesting opportunity there for uh, a more comprehensive network solution kind of thing. But it also removes one company from the competitiveness of this and, you know, I've always kind of gone like, okay, let's see root metrics, let's see Ookla, uh, let's see OpenSignal and kind of marry the three together to get a, a, a kind of an idea of what's going on. So now that we have two of them kind of melding together, you know, I'm not really sure how that will balance things out. Um, but, you know, I, I think it's, it's an interesting thing and it's gonna make a, a big difference in how people perceive 5G coverage and speeds. Um, I, I'd love to hear your thoughts, Will.
0: I just, you know, I hope it doesn't sort of, you know, homogenize to your point, um, the evaluation and the testing because it seems, I mean, you, you're more, you follow this more closely than I do, but it just seems like, you know, these different, you know, companies that that do these speed tests, like they have different criteria, you know, some are in cars, some do this, some do that. And so th- there isn't sort of a consistent recipe for doing this. So to your point, my 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 hope and expectation is that the two of these companies coming together doesn't homogenize things, or you know, you know, limit, you know, kind of, you know, the the, the parameters. So, I mean, that's just my two cents. Diane, what do you think?
2: Yeah, um, I, so I mean, back to your point, Angel, about there being one less competitor. I, I just kind of also want to reiterate that they had totally different methodologies. Uh, one was crowdsourced. One was drive testing which to your point, the drive testing tends to favor Verizon. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, well, I think they said at first they're going to maintain the separate brands. So it'll be interesting to see how long it takes them to marry those two data sets. Um, one of the other things I'm interested to see is who decides to claim statistics from the new company, uh, right? Because there's there's clearly a very... Uh, big gap in who uses what, you know, Ookla and root metrics um, open signal when they're bragging about their coverage, they all use a different one because that's the one that's best for Favors them. them. Yeah. yeah. And it'll be interesting to see how the two that usually use Ookla uh, and root metrics decide which statistics to cherry pick. <laughs> if I, mm-hmm. So uh, I'll, I'll be keeping an eye on that for sure. But Uh, That's really the only thing I had to add. I think there's a bonus topic.
0: Yeah, Angela gets a bonus topic.
1: (laughs) Yes. So uh, I'm not that special, uh, but I will say I have a bonus topic, which is uh, the 5G, uh, anti-5G products are back in swing. Uh, One of them was actually made it to the BBC News an hour ago, which is why I'm adding this. Uh, as a 5G bonus topic, Um, they said that they found some necklaces and accessories claiming to protect people from 5G mobile networks were actually found to be radioactive, which is the (laughs) biggest thing ever. Um, The Dutch Authority for Nuclear Safety and Radiation Protection, ANVS, issued a warning about 10 products it found that gave off harmful ionizing radiation. So not only is it not doing what it's supposed to do, it's actually doing exactly what it's not supposed to do. And they said that there was a, a bracelet from a company called Magnetics that uh, had an energy armor product that was giving off radiation. Um, and there was um, there have been multiple um, uh, inquiries in the UK and we've, you know, there's things we've found on Amazon, but I recently our G2 on 5G podcast Twitter account got followed by one of these companies called 5G guard or five guard actually, and they sell, um, EMF protection, mosquito nets, baby bed covers, baby stroller covers, protection curtains, um, maternity belly bands, um, and burqas, hijabs, beanie hat, uh, regular hats, men's underwear. To protect that special area uh, as well as EMF protection sleeping blankets. Uh, and as you can imagine, all these products are outrageously expensive. Uh, the EMF protection sleeping blanket is $850. I will not be going out and buying that and testing no. it. Um, but yeah, these, you know, for the holidays, you know, wow. there's people out there who are, are, are selling these 5G protection products and some of them
0: happen to be radioactive crazy. Well, I've got no comment. What about you, Diana?
2: <laughs> My comment is that I think things that are predatory and that play on people people's fears in that way are just awful. Yeah. You're bilking people out of hundreds of dollars at a time when a lot of people probably don't have that much to spare. Like True. what's wrong with you? You want to have a conversation about you know what different spectrum bands have on an impact like on impacting people's health that's one thing if you're just gonna throw about the term 5g and say 5g is killing people like that that has no basis in fact has no basis in science like get out of here yeah (laughs) I mean uh
1: Crazy. Yeah, unfortunately, I, I really hope no one in my family buys me any uh, 5G protection products uh, yeah. for Christmas or for <laughs> New Year.
2: You don't want to um, be protected from 5G. You want the 5G. <laughs> I
1: know. Well, that's the thing. Like, I, I have some friends and family that make jokes, but, uh, um, you know, they know I have a 5G podcast. So they're definitely having jokes. And I might get a joke 5G, you know, gift probably this holiday. But uh, I, I really enjoyed our conversation. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to wrap up the, the podcast this week and say that we hope our viewers and listeners found this week's topics interesting. Um, if anyone out there would like to provide insights on a specific 5G topic for a future podcast, please reach out to us on social media. Uh, Diana is at Dia Marie's Beat, Will is at Will Town Tech, and I'm at Anshel Sag. We hope you have a great weekend and please tune in again next week.